Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. My name is Mary Catherine Ham. I am your host. My co-host is Vic Mattis of the Washington Free Week, and we are your morning show for any hour. I am a little over-caffeinated and slightly underprepared today. I'm, I feel a little jittery, if truth be told. How's it going, Vic? On brand, Mary Catherine, on brand. It's going fine. I'm feeling a little sad, a little melancholy, and I hate to start on a sad note for the show. So a little bit of an apology to our listeners. The other night, I, I, I went to pick up dinner for the kids, and so I go into the Five Guys. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, earlier that day, I was having a conversation with my coworker, Phil Caldwell, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm getting Five Guys for the kids, and, you know, except for those burgers are so huge. And Phil says, oh, yeah, man, when I was like, you know, my son's age, when I was a teenager, I used to get those, you know, the, 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 the bacon cheeseburgers with the two patties, you know, which is for them. That's a, that's the normal burger at Five Guys because now I just do the single. Phil is in his 20s. And I thought to myself, oh, I still get the double. So <laughs> I go in. Now I have this thing looming over me, right? There's this guilt. I go in. I look at it. And decided to call an audible. I get the the burgers for the kids. My daughter, she gets a single patty. And then I decided for the first time in my life to get the little bacon cheeseburger. Oh, look at you. Which sounds like something for babies. And it's not that little. It's but it's not because I ordered it all the way with the, you know, so it's not just bacon. It's got all the works, mushrooms, onions, lettuce, tomato, mayo. And, and I had it. And strangely, I was kind of fine. With like just not having the extra patty, but it had only came to 778 calories versus the double patty. Wow, that seems low. It does. The double patty is 1,176. That sounds more like it. That sounds because I mean, that's half your day. And I also had fries, but that's unclear how what, what that came to. Uh, b- bottom line is the fries were unclear because you just didn't look. But No, I didn't look and I was so hungry. Uh the bottom line is I, I survived, but I feel like I've turned a corner now, sort of like as a child becoming a, a, a man. Yeah, you, you know, you're putting you've your put away, away. You put away childish things. I did like the double patty. So I feel very sad. Are you a are you a five guys girl? You know, five guys is good. And I, it's, oh, it's local. Oh, it's local. Oh, so we got to fight. No, no, no. I think it's good. What do you like? The. The issue that I have with Five Guys is that I like to load up my burger so much and then they wrap it in the tinfoil that it can get very soggy very quickly. Yes, the bun will fall apart. So I don't know if they need to toast that bun a little bit more or what the, what the situation is. Perhaps it just needs to be more synthetic like a McDonald's bun. Yes, might, you know, and McDonald's be, is... A, it might yeah. just be too holistic an organization. It's right. too natural. I mean, I fully accept that I'm going to make a mess when I have the Five Guys burger with everything on it because it's all juices and things. I, yes. It's just going to be messy. And it's almost like the bread dissolves. But McDonald's actually is going through a massive makeover with their burgers. And supposedly, eventually, it's going to come to us. It's begun already. And it's nationwide. I don't like the, what I'm hearing. Here. I know. I get nervous. The bun is now going to be this toasted brioche bun and supposedly will last longer. I got used to the McDonald's bread. We'll see. I, I you know, if they have we'll any, if, if you're a McDonald's franchise owner, a manager, and you have to be, get rid of the old buns, send them to me. I will eat them. There you go. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I have. Send them to send me. Send them to me. You so know, I, by the way, when I make, when I, when I do Vic Mattis cheeseburgers, 
I don't put them because I like big patties, tavern burger style. I don't put them on the bun until actual dinner. Like I will plate them on the spot because if you do it ahead of time, like you mentioned, it starts to, yes. you know, I made a sound effect. If you heard it, that was my mouth making that sound. <laughs> it was a squishy sound. Sorry. Um, I feel like I embrace change and unpredictability in most areas of life. I'm not sure I embrace it when it comes to my McDonald's food. I know. I'm a little uh, nervous. We're going to have to find out on a break it up. Getting hammered investigates. Yes, getting hammered investigates. I will, and I'm not, I'm not ragging on Five Guys because I really enjoy it, and they have A1, which is a huge plus for me. You can add A1, you can add A1 to your burger. Oh, the A1 steak sauce. Yes, (laughs) which I enjoy very much, and I. It's a steak burger. Yes, I like that, and I know there's a big fight between In and Out and Five Guys. I, I do like In and Out. But only animal style. Need all that. See this? You see a theme. Yeah. I like all that extra stuff. On animal it. style. How about Shake Shack? Shake Shack's good too, but I I rarely get a chance to go. Yeah, I'm not gonna it's... do. A, I'm not prepared to do a ranking right now. We should okay, do a whole no, show. We'll do a, a we'll ranking. Do that. Yeah, I, I'm a big Eat. fan of Shake Shacks. Okay, okay. I should say. How by are the you? Way, yes. I, I should say by the way that we we will cover both the disaster on America's campuses that then yeah. came to the hill to be a disaster yeah. this week and. The debate hosted by our friend Eliana Johnson in the Free Beacon in partnership with yes. News Nation, along with Megan Kelly. We will talk about that and have a bunch of clips. So we're going to get to that. But before that, we need a little Christmas update. And in addition to burgers, in my house, Christmas is proceeding apace. There's a lot of work to do. I Every year I try to figure out how do you enjoy Christmas while also getting Christmas done. It is, you know, because there's Does a lot Steve of- Steve help you with the decorations? No. Yeah, if I need to reach something, but largely that is my project and that is okay. totally fine. Same with he's, Kate. He's tolerant of that and he's like, go for it. Junk up the house with as much festivity as you would like. And I am, I feel supported in that. He handles outdoor decorations. I don't do outdoor. Yeah, neither so, do I. <laughs> Kate should do that. Is Kate doing that? No. So things are very festive, but they're very busy. I have decided this year... A couple years ago, I decided that a Christmas card would be optional, that I wasn't going to put myself through that every single year. I'm thinking about that, too. Two years ago, I did one because uh, our third was born two months before Christmas, and she needed a birth announcement. So I thought, oh, yeah, this is perfect. I'll do a birth announcement. So she was on the front of the card, on the back of the card, the rest of the family. All right. We did that. Then my fourth was born. I was going to do a Christmas slash New Year's announcement for him, but he came in early January because he was late. Yes. So I didn't do it because I was tired. And those are good now, reasons. Now he, here we are 11 months later and I decided I guess the fourth kid should have a birth announcement card. Okay. But here's the deal. I'm going to attempt to photo shoot and if this kid doesn't cooperate, oh. he doesn't get a card. Does he have okay. to be awake for it? Yes. Okay, you don't want the yeah. sleeping baby. I guess baby. I could do a sleeping baby. You could do a sleeping baby. Ba- you get a pass on the baby. Well, the problem is because the, not the toddlers. I, I want it. I want it Christmas themed, obviously, oh, and because yeah. we have gated off our Christmas tree for the toddlers in the playpen, you can't really put the baby under the tree or near the tree without getting an ugly playpen in the picture. So, yeah. so what I did is I put him on a little like a hassock, like a, a footstool. No, 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 I didn't put him in a crutch. <laughs> on a footstool in his little in some Christmas jammies and a okay. Santa hat. Uh-huh. Now, there's a lot going on here. Is the lighting going to be good? Is the Santa hat going to stay on his head? Is the child going to cry? We don't know. We don't know. Put yeah. him up there. I start shooting shots with the with the old iPhone. 
Steve walks in, and this is a good hack for both dogs and children to get them to look at the camera. One, I had sparkly antlers on my head, so he would look at me. And then Steve started making a new noise. You have to make a noise the baby has never heard before. So he does like this weird whistle thing. And the baby's like, oh, fantastic. He looks up at Dad and me, and I'm shooting pictures. I went through these pictures, Vic. Uh-huh. They're so good, they look like AI. Ah! He looks like a fake baby. He looks, he looks like, he looks yeah. like a stock photo cherub. Too like, good to be the, the the photo that comes with the frame. Yes, I actually sent it to a friend last night. She's like, "Why is she sending me stock photos of babies at Christmas?" Oh, okay. That's what it looks like. So I'm here's the problem. The, yeah, I can't wait to see these photos. First of all, fifty percent of my kids take great pictures. The others revolt. Okay, uh-huh. so we got two and two. Okay, this one is in the team that takes great pictures. Right. He cooperates. This, however, means that I have to do the work of the Christmas card. I was counting on him yes, to, to be fail. bad. Oh, yeah. You can just say, ah, one for the books. No. And I'll say, look, you own this, buddy. Yeah, you couldn't get the picture. And now I own it and well, I have to do the Christmas card. So the plan is okay, number one, having to go through making, getting, making the Christmas card. That is Kate's department. I actually do most of the Christmas cards in terms of mailing them out. So that's, but, but that's more mindless. Than having to go through all the technical stuff on Shutterfly, you now have the the front is going to be just the baby solo picture, and then the back will be everybody else. Yes, all right, and all the other kids are like, "What? What gives, Mom?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Look, the last baby got one. Th- th- this baby needs to get one." So it have, says have, we have, we added a new elf. Have, That's what it says. Yeah. Oh, good. That's a great line. I guess I can't <laughs> use that one. Are you uh, Are you already receiving people's Christmas cards? Yes, of course. They start coming yeah. December. Aren't 1st. they the worst? How dare you make me calm, look bad? Calm, calm down. This it was like December first. You know what's the upside though is that you can pretend that you definitely were going to send those people one because it's already come in, and you're like, oh, you were for sure on my list. <laughs> I mark down everybody who sends me a card. I send them a card. We send. Yeah, them. I mean, That's see, usually. you're smart. People know that I'm unorganized enough that it's they not. They might not. They get don't. A card, they even don't. They think, send you a card. Not. I think I'm pretty thorough. Okay. But like, yeah. certainly someone's going to slip through the cracks yeah. and they generally know that that's well, not yeah. meant to spurn them. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the card from the remodelers or the, you know, a financial advisor. From my tax attorney. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to send them a card. <laughs> and then today I've been doing massive Christmas prep because Steve and I are going to his brother's wedding. Congratulations. Which means Dave. my parents are coming up to help. We're very excited. My parents are coming up to help with the kids. That means the guest room has to be ready. And the guest room is mom's staging area for all of Christmas. Christmas decorations, Christmas wrapping paper. Do the kids Christmas know not to go in there? Gifts, yes. And they're very disciplined. So they've, Good. Yeah, they, it's, it's they like, will not. It's like the room in Poltergeist. Don't go in. Don't open that door. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so all that stuff is laid out, which means I wrapped 90% of our presents today because I got to get them out of here and under the tree where they will be subsequently torn apart by my toddler and my baby because they can't be in here. Well, so you have your work cut out. I'm killing it today, yeah. Vic, is what I'm saying. And a review. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I have a review too for Vic, which is definitely getting into him today. Exciting. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. All right. Should we talk about the news, Vic? Let's do it. All right. I think we're going to do debate first. I enjoyed that last night. Look, I always enjoy debates more than I think I'm going to. I tune yes. in and I think, oh my gosh, 
we're doing this again. <laughs> but I generally like them. And I like to watch people mix it up. And they certainly mixed it up last night. Yes, I, I think that the debates that you end up not liking are the ones that end up becoming exactly what they're supposed to be, which is civilized and civil. You know, if like they, it was like the debate between Dick Cheney and Joe Lieberman. Ah, yeah. okay, that was good. Hmm. You know, but this is this was this was like WWE style. Let me just say this, Mary Catherine, a great job by my boss, Eliana Johnson. Fantastic just want to say job. that in case she's listening. No, I'm kidding. She really did. I thought they all did well, and it got spicy. It did get spicy. I thought that the a lot the questions were fantastic. And the debate moderators are not the story, which is an important part of any debate. Yes. Eliana looked great and sounded great. I thought she did a great job. Then, and like I've, I've done one of those before. It's very nerve wracking. And you're always wondering who's going to come at you. And she even once quieted the great Ramaswamy, yeah. which is quite a feather in her cap. Because yeah, that was can okay. Do that? I think she said something to the effect of you're done or thank yeah, you. You're, you're done. Your time <laughs> is through. Done. Something along. She's a lot, she has a lot of experience saying these things. I mean, you know, fantastic so. job. So, so that's what happened. I, yeah. Do you have a top line on who you think performed best? I guess it's a tie between the two front runners, between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Uh, I think there were moments where uh, both were shining. Uh, I don't. I, I think the argument rings hollow that oh, you know, she came off as the candidate for Wall Street. They all want this money. They, they're all chasing after it. And then when they don't get it, ah, right. I'm a man of the people. To that point, we can play a little clip of okay. Nikki Haley taking on. She took a lot of fire, uh, understandably, because she is rising quickly. She's how you know. Donors. She's a front runner. Let me, let's hear a little bit about what she has to say about that. Got off the board. I love Boeing. They build good commercial airplanes. They build airplanes for our Air Force. I am proud of them. They employ a lot of people in South Carolina. But that's why I left the Boeing board. There's nothing to what he's saying. And in terms of these donors that I'll are supporting that. me, they're just yeah. jealous. They wish that they were supporting them. But I'm not going to sit there and do that. Let me get the governor in and then I'll go. And Vivek, he wrote a book talking about ESG and these woke corporations in BlackRock. The idea that I want to do that in Florida, they were managing our pension, part of our pension. And then when they did the ESG, I took two billion. I think you're right, Vic. I mean, nobody's nobody's mad at their Boeing money if they have the Boeing money. Yes, they'll find ways (laughs) to rationalize. But it's a good answer. I, I and I agree. You know, they're doing we can't make weapons fast enough. So anyway, good um, for her. what did you what did you think? Also, uh, you, you mentioned very quickly, you know, because when you had done this in, in the last presidential campaign, yeah. was it was in 2016. Yeah. Oh, goodness. What was the most nervous part of doing that? The beginning prepping for it or it, it, once you're in it, do you no longer it's gone? The nerves are gone. You're just in it. Well, it's funny. So people always ask me, was that fun? And I say fun is not the word. <laughs> it's it's very rewarding. If you do well, but there are, I think the the hardest part for me is you're holding so many facts and scenarios in your mind at the same time because you're, and then you also have to employ full emotional IQ and be on camera. It's not a job that I envy 
anyone having, especially when you have to do a full debate. I, I did a couple of questions. I think I did four or five questions. ABC was quite generous with what they gave me sure. to do. But to do an entire debate is a real undertaking. Yeah. That being said, I'm not always sympathetic to moderators who are real bad and have clearly access to grind when they do it. Yeah, there but have been some bad ones through our history. So. It was, I think my most, my biggest concern was that I sort of announced myself when I arrived and looked like I was meant to be in the room. That was my, because, Key. you know, I, I feel like I can look a little young. I can look a little green. I'm a chick. Like if my voice is squeaky, nobody's going to be taking me seriously. So I had a very, I had thought through how loud I wanted to be, how I wanted to sit and what I wanted to say when the camera came to me. And actually when I said it, a couple of people tweeted me that it was like disrespectful. When <laughs> <laughs> I said, when the camera came to me, they introduced me uh -huh. and I waited for a second, almost long enough to make people scared. You did. And, you paused. Yes. I watched I, you. I, yeah. I waited. And then I said. Good evening, guys. Because I felt like I felt like that was a way to be me. Yes. And to feel like myself, which is also what you want to do. And this is like a bunch of navel gazing, but it is a weird thing to be involved with. And at yeah. the time, I was very afraid that Trump would come after me. And he didn't end up doing that. And I can't remember now, but I feel like I had several scenarios in my head for yeah. ways that I would respond to that. Because you don't want to get in the dirt with them or become. No, I think the story. It, you have to do it the way a stand up comedian braces for hecklers. Have something yes. get them ready. Just have something mm -hmm. in the back of your mind. But yeah. anyway, all went smoothly. And, and I also what did had you, a, yeah. I also had a brand new baby. So who knows what my brain was doing at that time? Woo! Anyway. That's that, so. that that's the default. More often than not, you're gonna you're you're with a baby. You're either you just had that's it or true. you're about maybe to have I, a baby. Maybe I function. Every that's election, actually my normal. In midterm. In midterm. Okay, so what did you think? So I thought uh, sort of like you that both Haley and DeSantis did well, and that I would like to just see everyone else not there, frankly. Now, now I'm gonna undercut that a little bit by playing some clips of these other guys because they got yeah. into it. But here's what I noticed. I think that Haley is a better presence on a debate stage. She gives crisp answers. She attacks smartly mm -hmm. with, and she has a great talent for not sounding like a jerk when she's doing it or mm -hmm. not seeming strident or any of the things that women are sometimes well, accused of. Well, yes, I was going to say the thing that, you know, the criticism that the opponents and critics of Hillary Clinton would get was by describing her as being shrill. Oh, that's such a guy thing to say that she's shrill. Women are shrill. Nikki Haley is not. She no, has a wonderful well, voice. I like she, listening to her. You know? So this is something that I sympathize with for for Hillary Clinton is that your voice is a huge part of that. Yeah. And men do have an inherent advantage. I know that the left now believes that there are no inherent differences between <laughs> men and women, but <laughs> their voices are lower and can and end up don't end up going up in register when they're angry usually yeah. <laughs> or excited and so that it can give you gravitas right women i think are at an advantage when they have a mid register or low register voice she does she also has a southern accent yeah which is helpful she also yeah. has brown hair all of these things are really helpful to women <laughs> Carolina. She looks, She's she, looks Carolina. Great. she looks great in a skirt. You know, I'm just saying some things that she and I have in common. Oh, yes. Of that, course. that make us very powerful public beggars. I can't wait to tell people I was on a podcast with a future president. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. There's one answer that I'm going to try to pull up here. So I think Haley's 
great on stage. I think DeSantis is a skilled debater in the, as we talked about with the Newsom DeSantis face off, in that he does always have facts at the ready. Yeah. I think he would fare better in a face to face, like head off with her, a face off with her. Mm -hmm. I noticed last night that in arguing with him, that's the only time that Haley seems a little more rattled. Okay. Because she did resort a couple of times to just, well, that's not true. Yeah. And instead of her normal sort of like, I'm coming for you, I will punch you on this. And I thought that was interesting. And I would like to explore that dynamic by having the two of them together. DeSantis, for his part, I think brought attention to a couple of things that I really liked to see. In the beginning, he brought up immediately the fact that the Biden administration hasn't addressed Iran when it comes to Israel and Hamas, and that that is a huge missing part of this story. He also coming back at Vivek uh, at the at Vivek at the very beginning when Vivek said we don't need to worry about this basically because this is Israel. Yeah, he brought up the very salient point that almost no one brings up and doesn't do often enough, which is that Americans were killed and taken hostage in this attack. Yeah, so those were two things where I think when because he's prepared things that are left on the table by other people. He brings into the conversation. It was a very interesting dynamic when you compare it to the early debates and everyone viewed Ron DeSantis as the front runner, the guy to go after. He found himself in many ways, I think, in an advantageous position. And there are enough pundits out there who were saying that DeSantis was the real winner of last night's debate. And of course, then I get all the DeSantis press releases quoting them saying we won. But it, it put him in an it put him in a very advantageous spot. Because I felt like there were not a lot of deeply personal attacks against him. And a lot of the stuff that you might want to go after him for are, you know, are things that he had to deal with with Gavin Newsom in that debate. And they're not going to they're not going to bring up banning, quote unquote, banning books or, you know, the 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 wrongly labeled don't say gay bill or whatever with him. They're all on the same side of this. And it is funny to see, you know, a Republican governor of Florida and a versus a Republican governor of South Carolina, you know, trying to sort of go after each other when in fact they should all be on the same page. Well, they and they don't disagree that yeah. much is the thing. I will play. There's this clip of in, in, in the interest of equal time, I'll play, play a, a great clip of each of them. So here's Haley talking about homeownership. And what's interesting about this is that she weaves in a personal story. She explains policy in a way that is approachable by normal folks. And she gives a solid answer. Let's talk about the economy. Ambassador Haley, homeownership has always been part of the American dream, but it's increasingly out of reach for younger Americans. This year, mortgage rates reached 30-year highs. Home prices have risen $190,000 over the past decade. Is this the free market at work? Or should the federal government do something to make homes more affordable? Well, first of all, I mean, you're exactly right. My daughter just got married, and I saw how hard it was for her and her husband to buy a home. Right now, the average homeowner in America is 49 years old. 
You've got young people everywhere. That used to be the American dream, and now it's out of reach. But you look at what happened. You first of all look at what the Fed did. The Fed did a terrible job when they allowed all of that money to go through. You saw the Treasury bond rates go up. That affected mortgage rates, that affected automobile rates, that affected insurance rates. And so now we have a high interest rate. You've got a supply issue. Ask any builder. The supply issues have continued to be there. That's caused the rate to go up. And then you've got insurances that have gone up. And so what you have is a lot of younger people who, one, can't afford a home, but two, the banks aren't lending them any money. They've made the regulations so hard that they don't want to give loans on mortgages anymore. So what we have to do is we have to open it up. We have to, one, grow our economy so that people have more money in their pockets. We've got to look at the supply chain and make sure that we are funneling that so that builders don't have to sit there and go overseas to find things. And then we need to make sure that we really stop paying down this debt, make sure that we stop the borrowing, stop the spending. I'll veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. But it's, it's a long clip because there's a lot there. Yeah. She covers a lot of ground in a short period of time, ties it up with the bow of her daughter who's just gotten married, who wants to buy a home. Like that's, it's well done. I feel like she might, she, if she wanted to, she could help with the down payment on the home. I always find that a little perilous when they when they talk about their you know children not being able to afford. But well, I mean, so here's you could, the thing: you though. could say technically speaking, on her own, they she could not. I believe that you know on well, her own, she could not buy a house. It's also interesting. Perhaps she went there because she had already been attacked earlier in the debate by mm-hmm. Vivek for being too poor. Did oh. you did you hear that? Well, no. So he says that she left government service and then oh, right. enriched herself, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But he referred to her as when she left the UN as bankrupt. And I thought she had a great line, which was, look, my husband and I are both people of service. I was the governor and then a UN ambassador. Yeah. He is in the military. When we left that public service, when I left that public service, I wasn't bankrupt. It might be bankrupt to you, but it wasn't to us. And I right. thought that was a very, very everyman good. kind of take. Let me play a bit by... DeSantis, where I thought he got the better of her rhetorically and perhaps on policy as well, when you're talking about the bathroom bills. Did you see this? Yeah, that's right. Okay, here's a clip of this. Shows how hypocritical Ron continues to be. When he was running for governor and they asked him about that, he said he didn't think bathroom bills were a good use of his time. You can go look that up. I signed a bathroom bill in Florida, so that's obviously not true. The idea that you would say that I, I was against it, that. You didn't. You killed it. I signed it. I we stood didn't. up for little girls. You didn't do it. And there was this going on. I was actually just in South Carolina. Some of the legislators told me at the time there were boys going into the girls. That's the there whole reason no, why they no, did no, it. No, 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 no. And so they say when she does that explanation that that doesn't hold water. And this is the upstate of South Carolina. Ron, I signed the bill. I protected the girls. Do you know girls. South Carolinians? She did not do it. Do you know it. South know Carolinians? That. Because <laughs> South Carolinians. No, no, no. You are not going to talk about my state like that because I will tell you for a fact, South Carolinians never allowed that to happen, and we hadn't, we did not have that issue at the time. What I have always said is boys going to a boys' bathroom, girls going to a girls' bathroom. But hold on one second. I also say that biological boys shouldn't be playing in girls' sports. By the way, I just want to say, you know, I know how they stack the audience in the rafters, right, with their people, right. everyone, everyone from their various campaigns, so they can make noises and hoot and holler. The DeSantis campaign particularly had one guy who yeah. every time there was an applause line, you heard a, a voice go, yeah. And that's every really, really go back. Yeah. 
So it's like the it's like the 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 guy in trading places in the jail with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. So you know that was good. That was a good comeback. It's a, I mean, it's a clean hit. Yeah, it's a clean a hit. Clean hit. So that's that. Not to not to cop out, but my my conclusion is that as it was last debate, like consolidation should be the winner because we right. got to get two that's of these right. guys out of here. I, I also got a kick by the way. You know, he wanted to bring up, as did Vivek, uh, Nikki Haley's position on social media and having to, you know, have your name, you know, to be verified. And, you know, her concern is the bots, the Russian bots. I get it. And DeSantis was ready to go on this one because he yeah. wanted to bring up, you know, the importance sometimes of being anonymous in order to protect yourself if you're trying to expose the truth or you're trying to, you know, say something or something very important. But, you know, there are other implications to your security, whether and he cited Alexander Hamilton and right. the fe- uh, Federalist. He got that out so quick that he called Hamilton's pseudonym a pubulus. Mm-hmm. That's, that would be like mine. That was, anyway, Publius. <laughs> Publius, do you remember in a previous debate and one of the Republican candidates, John McCormick, our friend, will remember who it was who said this. I, it might have been Herman Cain. I can't mm-hmm. remember. But instead of Reince Priebus, it was Reince Pubis. Oh, so dear. It happens. No, but other than that, uh, more often to Vic than others, more often to me. And usually I have a few to drink when this happens, as many people know, on our cocktail tasting or beer tasting episodes. The I'm not the only person, obviously, to notice this, but clearly on that debate stage, now that there are only four, it basically broke up into two camps, didn't it? Yeah, it was Christie and Nikki on one side and DeSantis and Vivek on the other. This is not to say that they don't go after each other, but by and large, they focused a lot of their fire on the other side exactly. And it's almost like for Vivek and Ron, they didn't have the effort to actually go after Chris Christie because he's not he's not a front runner. But right. at the same time, Christie did a lot of the the, the heavy lifting, so to speak. So so a couple times, yeah. Uh, Ramazami was especially nasty last night. He Wasn't, was. It, it was worse, right? And it was he funny because up. they started off saying, oh, you know how after the first debate, he was so gruff and kind of mean and obnoxious. And the second debate, he wanted to be friendly. And the third debate, and what is it going to be this time? Well, we now know what it was. Now we know. He was he was really nasty. There was a moment where he said that Haley couldn't find something on a map that his three-year-old could yeah. find. Just like unnecessarily that condescending work. and gross. I don't think that works. No, it doesn't. It's It's not a good look. Such that, by the way, she actually at one point was only rolling her eyes at him. Yeah. She did not deem him worthy enough, worthy even... of a response. And I think that was a great moment because yeah, she shouldn't ignore him as this petulant little kid, this little brat <laughs> who's just going to, you know, just, you know, or nipping at it at her heels. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? <laughs> no. It's not worth my time to respond to him. But yes, let's talk about Christy. Christy, no doubt, heard the criticism from last time, of which I was part. So I'll take partial blame for this. Because I said, look, if he's up there, there's no point if he's not punching people. Right. That's He was very quiet last debate. And in this debate, things changed. He was like a a hockey goon. He's just out there to hurt. (laughs) It's just going after people. Yeah. So here's he also tried to go after DeSantis at least twice in this manner and get DeSantis stuck in the in the Rubio loop 
of 2016. By the way, that was the debate I oh, uh, moderated. You so witnessed was, I mean, his political I was, death. I was in the room for that meltdown. And I was like, what is he doing? Why does he keep saying the same thing? Here's Christy kamikaze Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay, you Tell say this, you, you do this, and, you do this at Ramaswamy. every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say exactly and no, what I, I said, Chris. I'm not I'm done yet. Well, this now is... Now, look. This is, on, and here's this is not a steal. This is not a steal nonsense. Let me tell you something. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. He goes on to White Knight for Nikki Haley, which I'm sure yeah. annoyed her because she can't. It's a clever thing because she can't really not accept it. But, you know, she wanted to punch Vivek if somebody was going, you know, yeah. she's like, she's like, you don't need to do this for, on my behalf. Right. It, it, not mansplaining per se, but, you know, sort of like, no, let me handle it. You it's know. nicer than that, which is why it's a tricky tactic. Right. Yes. Um, and she had a very she had a kind expression when Christie did this. But it makes you wonder. You know, when Christie eventually bows out that he's going to, again, no pun intended, throw his weight, you know, to Nikki. Yeah, I think now. I Yeah. And, 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 and that was that was the that was his that was his attack on that was his attack on Vivek, not the Sanders. I thought it was true. Yeah. So yeah, that was the yeah. one on Vivek. And I, he said he said what we all wanted to oh, hear, yeah. which right. is like, this is who you are, man. And you keep saying things and then you say you didn't say that. Well, and I think he's he got to the point where he used the term, I think, a Harvard mouth, smart ass mouth, I think is what he said. And I thought for a second, two things might happen. One, he's going to drop an F-bomb. He is from New Jersey. It's my people. We tell it like it is. And the second thing is, I thought he was going to almost get over there or get in his face because he'd had enough. I think both of those candidates on the, on the, on both ends of, of that stage are like, well, this is the last debate, you know, of the year. Might as well blow before the caucuses. Might as well just go guns blazing. And in Christie's case, it was, I'm just going to tell people, I'm going to tell everybody what we're all thinking about you. Yes. But there is a part of Chris Christie that loves to destroy a Florida Republican. That's a promise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he did go after DeSantis. We'll play a clip of that. True, that law was put into effect in 2018 and regulated in 2018 before I, after oh, I was out of office, the Megan. No, it, no, we did not, Megan. We did not issue yes. those guidelines, no. and you're wrong about that. Simply wrong. I have stood up each and every time. So I think if this on is one issue choice, that's disqualifying, on. it's this one. I, I stood up every single time for parents to be able to make the decisions for their minor children. But parents... Every single time, parents should make those decisions. And by the way, you know what? Every once in a while, parents are going to make decisions that we disagree with. But the minute you start to take those rights away from parents, you don't know that slippery slope, what rights are going to be taken away okay. next, and what they're going to be have, on as you. As a parent, you do not have the right to abuse your kids. This is cutting off their These are irreversible procedures, uh, and this is something that other countries in Europe, like Sweden, once they started doing it, they saw it did incalculable damage. They've shut it down. I signed legislation in Florida banning the mutilation of minors because it is wrong. He tried twice, and DeSantis is nimble enough and forceful enough. I think that's part of it. Forceful enough that he 
plowed right through. Yeah. He kept talking. Christie's criticism was you don't answer the questions as put to you. Yeah. And I don't know that, like, I'm obviously more friendly to to DeSantis as a candidate than Christie because I don't sure. think Christie's pulling this off. And I didn't enjoy his posture with Trump in mm-hmm. uh, 2016 and onward. But I don't know if I agreed with his assessment that he wasn't answering questions because some of the questions, the first one was like, you give a 90 second answer instead of answering the question. So Christie gives a 90 second answer to bash him. <laughs> right. I mean, that, I, I get it because, you know, there are some, you know, preset responses, you know, they're, they're built into what anyone's going to bring up anything about defense or foreign policy. I got to mention that I served, you know, or I was in Iraq. But here's another thing. I don't think it's a good look to bring up that someone brings up that up a yeah. lot because it is relevant right. and important. And none of y'all have military experience right. except for him. Right. Christie then has to bring up that, you know, he was a, a U.S. attorney or a prosecutor after right. 9-11 and then try to bring people on that side saying I was involved, but in a different way. Right. But you're right. What what Christie wanted for certain questions was, you know, the simple yes or no. Is he fit? Is Donald Trump yeah. fit? And uh, DeSantis just wanted to say he's too old. You know? Well, and it's. But if you gave if you gave Trump the mental test, he'd pass the mental test. I think he would. I think he would. Yeah, now, the no question. That question is, is he is he morally fit? Right. That's a different. And, that's, that's, you know, yeah. the problem with that is that Christie doesn't need to worry about Trump voters because he ain't going to win any of them. Right. But DeSantis would like to woo some of them. So that becomes a very tricky line to walk, which is this whole primary. Right. Right. But I do think you're right that he would probably be fine on the mental acuity test. And that the message that like we need to move on beyond this is not a terrible one. Yeah. And going back to Vivek and his attack and the decision again in his mind, I'm not I'm not actually going to win the nomination. So I'm actually and I'm not going to criticize Donald Trump. There was a moment where they thought, you know, is he fit to be president? And he did his hand raise. Nobody asked for you to raise your hand, but he's like, yep, I'm doing it again, everybody. This is this is where I stand. <laughs> what he, a dork. <laughs> yes. And, and then again, he decided that, you know what, this is it. I might as well bring up, you know, 9-11, the Saudis, right. January 6th, and then, and then replacement theory. And then it happened so quickly. I just sort of stopped because I was checking my phone and looking at copy. And I'm like, wait, what, what is he talking about? And it was everything. He just wanted to blow everything up. No, and he also said fascist like 10 times. Fascist neocons. Fascist neocons is a big thing. So not kind words for for the neocons. But uh, yeah. but that's, I think, the, the decision that I, I'm surprised he didn't bring up Pizzagate. So, you know, anyway. Uh, and, and, and that was it. Also, did you like how he kept on bringing up Thomas Jefferson was 33? Oh. Did you like to bring up? Hint. <laughs> hint. Hint, hint. I'm the guy. But I'll tell you I'm this, though. They're, in they're, my 30s. There are two things that I did agree with Vivek. One, okay. Because he's I'm very ready. outspoken. Ready for this one? One was the climate stance, you know? Yes. Because, you know, how much of this is a racket? And two, his position on trans. So I was with yeah. him on, on a lot. Of, and you go, yeah, and as, remember, a, as a mental illness that should be treated right, as such. You know, yeah. I would, we would read his, I would read his op-eds before he was running for president. I'm like, oh, I, you know, this is good stuff. And then, well, now we know that he's really obnoxious, but, you know, he has he has a firm position on some of these issues. Nevertheless, we're going to be down to two. When do you think Mary Catherine, Christie and Vivek drop out? I mean, isn't Christie going to stick around until New Hampshire? 
That's I guess that's maybe. the question. Is he interested yeah. enough in throwing his supporters to Haley? That's right. That he'd get out before he has a chance at a decent showing. I, I mean, I don't know that I buy that his showing is going to Governor Sununu is about to announce sometime the, uh, this month, too, who, who his endorsement is. Oh, Not that endorsements matter as much as they used to. But, but Sununu is uh, very, very, very popular. Yeah. And if Sununu decided it's Chris Christie, then yeah, then then you, we have a situation. But if he happens to say, you know, Nikki Haley, then I think there's some other incentive for Christie to jump on that. I do want to play a little bit of Nikki Haley on uh, anti-Semitism on campus to close this out, because that will Good. take us into our next Great subject. transition. Here we go. Here's, here's Nikki Haley. Biden made a mistake not including anti-Zionism in the definition of anti-Semitism. If you don't think that Israel has a right to exist, that is anti-Semitic. We will change the definition so that every government, every school has to acknowledge the definition for what it is. So that's that's the that that's the discussion at the debate last night. But of course, I, I love by the way. Yes, and it, it was great. And two things: one, I am sure Ron DeSantis was saying, "Why couldn't I get that question?" Uh, oh, yeah. And the, and the second thing is, I, I I love how it's, you know, it's, you know, we need to ban TikTok. We'll be back after this message from TikTok. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, also, I, I'm not sure about that statistic on people. Yeah, I, I don't know where that comes more. from. But, you know, I, I, I thought she was going to say, you know, for every half hour you watch it, you become dumber or something. I thought that's what she was I mean, that's say. also probably true. <laughs> well, no, causation and correlation. But. That is the discussion that yeah. was also being had on the Hill this week, Oof. where elite schools presidents came to Congress because they were asked to come testify about the wild outbreaks of overt anti-Semitism on campus. Now, can I just I'm, I'm going to be a free free speech enthusiast slash right wing squish okay. on you guys for just a second, oh, which is that. Oh. Am I super happy with education leaders being brought in front of Congress to answer for speech issues in this way? I don't I don't know. I don't know. Here's the problem, though. If they're not called by Republicans in Congress, the press won't cover it. Yeah. So we, it's kind of like a, a situation where you have to get the government. You you end up needing the government involved in this right. capacity because to get it attention you have to bring them there. Right. It is going to be inevitable that there's going to be a lot of grandstanding by our members of Congress because they get to right. sit on that high platformed dais, you know, like like it's the wedding, you know, in the big the right. main table there for the party and everyone, they get to look down on everybody. On the other hand, as you say, if they don't do it, no one's really questioning the well, media and, is not going to. And like, look, all these institutions do get federal money. So you've kind of yeah, you've, you've put yourself yeah. in a situation where you're going to get questions asked of you. So Aaron Sabarian was reporting on it for the Free Beacon, mm -hmm. faced with hostile questions from the Republican-controlled House Committee on Education and the Workforce, whose members include Harvard alumna Elise Stefanik of New York. The president struggled to explain why their institutions, which have repeatedly denounced, disinvited, and punished professors for airing conservative views, suddenly discovered the value of free speech when students and faculty began defending Hamas. So we'll play some, some clips here. This is Harvard President Claudine Gay responding to Elise Stefanik on the, the River to the Sea and the Intifada chants that happen on campus. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. 
and you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also... against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. So they don't embrace free speech. No, they That's held the firm. They held firm. And it was from, it was Penn and it was Harvard and the third, who was the from third? Was it MIT? MIT, yes, of course. Yeah. So the thing is, they don't embrace free speech. I, I am open to. The idea yep. that unless specifically targeted and intimidating and mobbing of other students, which has happened mm -hmm. while chanting this speech, yeah. it might be something that you allow in the wide berth of free speech allowed on campus, right? Right. The, the problem is that's not how Harvard operates. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. They, nor have they protected students from things that cross over from speech. The, the Jewish student who was walking among the Harvard law, Diane, yeah. who was accosted. Right. He's that, to my knowledge, has not been punished. They certainly haven't advertised that they're doing anything about that. And I just want to note that in 2017, Harvard University revoked admission office offers to at least 10 students due to racist comments made in private chats with each other. So these are these are unearthed social media things that became that they deemed too problematic and were therefore punished. Their argument now is we don't punish speech because we adhere to this very, very generous First Amendment standard. But they don't. Right. If if they had been consistently these stalwart champions of free speech. I could say, okay, they're just holding the line across the board, offensive speech, speech that they hate. You know, it doesn't matter. They think you have a right to say it. And then you think, you know, tell that to, you know, Carol Hooven, who is a biology professor at Harvard, who was forced to take leave because she had said that there are only two genders. There's two, you know, there's two biological sexes, male and female. Can't have that. That, and that's so, so hurtful. You can so that accost speech, that you, speech is punishable. Yeah. That speech is punishable. You can accost if you can you like you mentioned not only the student the Jewish student who happened to go through uh, walk around the Diane with his phone but also another female student. 
either at Harvard or at MIT or at Penn, who she was accosted, physically accosted for, you know, carrying the Israeli flag. And she said, her accoster, no penalties there. He's, he's walking around like everything is of great. Course. Had you, had you so much as touched, pressed your finger against, you know, somebody who you believe was, was trans or something and, mm-hmm. and, and that you didn't agree, you'd be out of there so fast. So well, it, imagine, again, imagine a rally, me the sanctimony, right? Imagine a rally, for instance, at yeah. Harvard against like men competing in women's sports, right? Right. And that there's oh, a chant, there's hurtful. a chant that references two genders uh-huh. that would by that college would be called a chant for genocide because right. everything trans you're ta- yeah, is you're called killing me. a call for genocide. Right. And those students would obviously be punished. They would be vocally admonished by the university and public public pronouncements yeah the standard is just so different and the problem is okay look harvard has the right to limit speech because it is a private institution yeah however people like me have argued they should have a more open first amendment standard because this is a place where you come to discuss ideas if you allow them to only take refuge in the first amendment when it comes to not punishing their mm. buddies, their ideological right. buddies, that is not a standard that the Jewish students can live with. Right. And but like I do think if I were on this this panel, I would have stuck with the more physical encounters as opposed to the speech itself, because I think that is a safer ground sure. to demand that these yeah. organizations punish those students. Because if not, you are pretty sure open to lawsuits for discriminating against a certain class based on their ethnicity. Right. No, exactly. Did you see the next day the uh, yeah. the, so, the, the video messages from these from these university presidents suddenly So yes, the the messaging changed. So M- McGill, Liz McGill who's at MIT. Penn oh, or yeah, at Penn. She's at Penn, which by the way, I believe that is the isn't that the university that's been trying to get rid of tenured professor Amy Wax for her speech? Admittedly, controversial speech, but she had said, look, I would need to know the context of the cry in order to know whether it's harassment. Again, that's an answer I would maybe accept from someone who was a consistent defender of speech. But from these folks, okay, so apparently they heard from someone because this is McGill doing her hostage video straight to camera. There was a moment during yesterday's congressional hearing on anti-Semitism when I was asked if a call for the genocide of Jewish people on our campus would violate our policies. In that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution. They do not have alignment with the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> they have not. They have not lived up to those standards. No. no. But well, let's move on. Which say that speech alone is not punishable. I was not focused on, but I should have been. The irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. I want to be clear. A call for genocide of Jewish people is threatening, deeply so. It is intentionally meant to terrify a people who have been subjected to pogroms and hatred for centuries and were the victims of mass genocide in the Holocaust. 
ooh, students aren't going to like this. No, no, she's put her, she's in a real pickle now because on the one hand, great to hear that statement. On the other hand, the people who thought she, she had their back, clearly now she does not because either the handlers or the lawyers or whoever else said, or perhaps donors said what you said uh, at the congressional hearing was horrendous. Uh, But Mary Catherine, if you look carefully at the video, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe she's blinking in Morse code from the river to the sea is what she's doing. (laughs) What strikes me about this video by Liz McGill, and indeed I checked it, it is University of Pennsylvania Pennsylvania. that that is after Amy Wax, a tenured Mm -hmm. professor for Mm -hmm. her speech. Mm -hmm. So speech is punishable at Penn. So what strikes me about this video is that McGill is doing this social justice warrior performative very attempting to look as if she is so very emotionally affected yeah by these calls and i want to be so serious about it so groveling it's always performative in this case it's not convincing at all because honestly the thing about all these guys the way they were answering these questions they don't actually care they don't care about this kind are you saying you're not convinced i'm not convinced because they don't care about this kind of victim Mm -hmm. the jews are the wrong kind of victim they're not on the hierarchy of oppression in the place that they should be and therefore mustering this performance for the jewish people is very hard for her i don't think they care about this segment of the student population in the way that they would care about other segments because they've been told that this one doesn't count. They, too, yes, well, too successful, too oppressive. They also know too white. They also know you know precise percentages of what their student body consists of, namely if you are various minorities. But they have no idea. They say what that percentage is of how many Jewish students. You know, so if you're calling for their genocide, I don't know how many people does that affect. Again, and I, I want to th- you know. The consistency thing is really gets to me. And also, you know, you think again about, you know, the the outrage if you don't respect somebody's pronouns or you misgender, that's yes. violence. And the words are violence. And, and you think about, I mean, you know, Yale was not there uh, at the hearing. But of course, you know, the famous Yale law students story now hounded by administrators. You know, for using a term, you know, trap house, saying, come over to my trap house. And oh, yeah. you know, it was a Federalist Society event, and we're going to have food. I love Popeye's fried chicken. Nope, can't have that. And they act, the administrators threatened him, saying, yeah. you're lucky you're a Native American. That gives you some cover, but, <laughs> which is what they said. It's and, amazing. And they said, you know, and, but, you know, you may be, you, you could lose your position here at, at the law school. You may not be able to be a lawyer because you can, you know, what we, we might have to tell the bar that. To them was really really offensive, but yeah. again, chance of intifada and river to the sea. Until this congressional hearing, you know, put their feet to the fire, they were they were fine with it. So, a statement from President Gay. She walked hers back a bit. This is on Twitter. There are some who have confused a right to a free expression with the idea that Harvard will condone calls for violence against Jewish students. Let me be clear: calls for violence or a genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile. They have no place at Harvard. And those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account. I do not know if I believe that because things have been happening where they have not been held to account. I want to play just for perspective, one of the students at Penn, Eyal Yakobi, just a few minutes of him describing why he's at this Mm -hmm. hearing, giving his testimony. Well, I'm both honored and thankful to be here. 
I should not be here today. I should be studying for my upcoming finals. I should be taking in every moment, every experience as an undergraduate student in my senior year of college. So while I should not be here today, I am. Because 36 hours ago, I, along with most of campus, sought refuge in our rooms. As classmates and professors chanted proudly for the genocide of Jews while igniting smoke bombs and defacing school property. The neighboring university's president immediately released a statement describing this as a brazen display of anti-Semitism. He went on saying, silence in the face of last night's demonstration of anti-Semitism and hate near our doorstep is not an option for me. Well, the doorstep of the neighboring university is in fact Penn. And in fact, Penn's president did choose silence. The neighboring university's president swiftly denounced the incident, and yet our president cannot. Because the glorious October 7th, and you're a dirty little Jew, you deserve to die, are words said not by Hamas, but by my classmates and professors. And because despite all of this, I am adamant and hopeful that we will not accept, least of all embrace, this horrific new normal on college campuses today. On October 7th, Israel was attacked. Since October 7th, American Jews have been under attack. My name is Ayal Yacobi, and I am a proud American studying at the University of Pennsylvania. I love Penn. I've wanted to attend this university since before I can remember. I'm here because the Penn I attend today is unrecognizable from the Penn I once used to know. Penn, once renowned for groundbreaking discoveries like the mRNA vaccine, is now a chilling landscape of hatred and hostility. Our university, revered for its pursuit of knowledge, has devolved into an arena where Jewish students tiptoe through their days, uncertain and unsafe. The situation at Penn has escalated into a full-blown crisis, with students openly asserting their intentions to proceed with plans with or without university permission. During COVID, strict guidelines governed everything from class attendance and graduation walks. Yet now, when students and faculty defy policies to intimidate Jewish students, where is the same resolute enforcement? For the past three weeks inside Houston Hall, our student center, an anti-Semitic headquarters has been erected with signs spreading Hamas propaganda. The organizers, both Penn affiliated and not, were initially asked to leave as they are trespassing on campus property. Well, three weeks later, they are still sleeping there and countless Jewish students have been harassed, yet the anti-Semitic dormitory remains. Clearly, both a disregard for school policies and permission to disregard them by a university unwilling to do anything. Not only are tensions palpable, but there have also been materialized actions taken to intimidate and harm students. A bomb threat against Hillel, a swastika spray painted, the Hillel and Chabad houses vandalized, a professor posting the armed wing of Hamas's logo on Facebook, a Jewish student accosted, Jews are Nazis, etched adjacent to Penn's Jewish fraternity house. Why doesn't the university hold the perpetrators of such acts accountable? Is the university fearful that they may offend those who wish to intimidate and harass their fellow students? Penn's ambivalence fuels a crisis that has shattered my academic sanctuary. Policies meant to safeguard us have become hollow promises. And let us be clear, if they fail Jewish students today, tomorrow they will fail the rest of us. Nonetheless, 
I refuse to go back to 1939 when Jews had to hide their religious symbols and hide who they are due to the intimidation and harassment of us. I used to think this was nonsense, fear-mongering, until I was made aware that Penn recommended to students, quote, not wear clothing slash accessories related to Judaism. Hundreds of posters mocking the hostages featuring cows instead of humans adorned Penn's campus two weeks ago. While on my way to class, I was greeted with chalk reading 90% of pigs are gas-chambered. As a student, what my despite what my university says, I do not feel safe. Let me be clear, I do not feel safe. Luckily, there are policies in place to protect students from the heinous acts I described. Unluckily, the university seems to have no interest in upholding those very policies. It's time for the soul of our university to reclaim its integrity. And it's time for me and my fellow classmates to stop worrying for our lives. Thank you. Penn said nothing, by the way, in the immediate aftermath of this. Also, what a what a radio voice, Mister. Yeah, Jacobi. I know. Call us. He sounded. He, he, I'm picturing. I, I can't say. I only hear the audio. I'm, I'm picturing a very large man. He is a big guy in his looks like forties. Like oh, he looks like a big guy. Okay, well. he does. He does. Look, he looks like a tall man, yeah. or maybe he's just st standing next to short congressman. It could go either way. Yeah, that's right. but that's the kind of thing students are yeah. facing. And again, as I keep saying, the university doesn't need to go after speech because they can go after people firebombing yeah. things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. the. That you can do a mob. Nothing to see here. A mob physically threatening students. Yeah, is a thing again. You can like, go after. like this is 1933 in Germany or something. Yes, yeah, seems and seems important. Steven Pinker, I want to bring up. He tweeted some ways that universities could get themselves out of these. He's a Harvard scientist and a free speech enthusiast. He says the wrong way for elite universities to dig themselves out of their reputational hole is to restrict speech even more. Right. So yep. this is a, this is a thing I'm worried about, right? Because right. I am I am very sympathetic to sure. the idea that like these calls are horrendous, these chants are horrendous. The behavior is mm -hmm. obviously over the line and should be punished. Right. But if they're not willing to do any of this, how do you have Jewish students on campus feeling safe? By the way, Gay was asked, "Could you tell a Jewish family that students would be safe on your campus?" And she was like, "I mean, we're really committed to that." Oh, <laughs> that's convincing. So. Number one, a clear and coherent free speech policy. Two, institutional neutrality. Universities are forums, not protagonists. Three, force prohibited. No more hecklers' vetoes, building takeovers, classroom invasions, intimidations, blockades, and assaults. By the way, weird. So, so weird. None of those can be punished. Yeah, that's they're cool. They're, yeah, well, they're for the right reasons. Yeah, for the right reasons. Number four, disempower DEI bureaucrats responsible to no one who have turned campuses into laughingstocks. Number five, viewpoint diversity, discourage political and intellectual monocultures, including hard left and intersectional. So I'm for all of that. In order to make that happen, they need to feel pain. Yeah. And that pain's <laughs> going to come from, honestly, that pain is going to come from a little dose of cancel culture yeah. via their donors. You hope so. You hope there are still enough people with common sense to say, hey, this is not right enough. I'm being turned off by this. And that, you know, they all don't feel the same way like a lot of these young people. Yeah. On the other side, do when you see them protesting, it gets very frustrating. But I hope so. I hope this yeah. is how, I hope it's a respective. Well, I, do I think that the government getting involved in making these calls is going to help? I don't. But I do think publicizing it mm -hmm. is an important part of this. And the Bill Ackmans of the world are saying, look, we're not going to support this anymore. No, Harvard has a $50 billion endowment. 
I mean, it's wild. They could exist forever without needing any of this money. Oh, I do think government has a role in asking for transparency for foreign donations. That is a place where they can do stuff. They also might have a role in being the, the civil rights office being part of this because these students might be being discriminated against in certain ways because they have a $50 billion endowment. They can certainly like go on without many of these donations, but they don't want to. It's not a good look. It's not how they're used to doing business. So I think some of those calls could make some changes. I think some of those calls probably are the reason for the walkback on this stuff, but man, they have so far to go. Yeah. That's the backstory. Maybe we'll find out more about it later in terms of what kind of pressure they were under, what, what made them feel like they were compelled to, uh, to clarify yeah. that they think that the killing of Jews is a bad thing. Uh, quickly, by the way, speaking of young people who are insane, yeah, White House interns signed an anonymous letter saying that Biden has, quote, ignored the pleas of the American people on Israel-Hamas in a letter to the POTUS and the vice president demanding a ceasefire. Okay, just a quick note. It's 40-something White House interns. I know you guys feel left out because you're not on campus at the Provo-Moss rallies. If you can't even put your name on this letter as an intern, you should not get national news coverage. And I know I'm adding to it, but I'm adding to it to ridicule you because you're pathetic. This is pathetic. It's a real fifth-column rear-guard problem that Joe Biden has, doesn't he? But like... The interns, Vic. And the scary <laughs> the scary thing is they might listen to them. Well, no, listen, I, I don't want to put my name on it because, you know, I'm afraid it's going to affect my career. And so this is how I secretly fear, feel. But, I, you know, my job's obviously more important. Truly pathetic stuff. Yeah. I, children, children, please grow up. All right. So there's a fast food renaissance in Europe. Okay particularly France. This is from the New York Times. Leading the pack is McDonald's. After the United States, France is the chain's most profitable country. That's where this brioche nonsense is coming from. Yeah, okay. And Krispy Kreme is the latest. At an opening on Wednesday, a DJ thumped out dance music to the waiting crowd. A red carpet carpet adorned the entrance while the company's mascot, a donut, bobbled alongside workers handing out Fresh glazed goodies to eager patrons. How do we feel about Krispy Kreme in France? Resistance, resistance is futile. Is what I'm going to say, Mary Catherine. <laughs> resistance is futile. So, you know, there's always been an American food presence, obviously, in Paris. And, and they love to turn their nose up on McDonald's and places like that. I remember when I was there in the 90s with my buddy Todd and we didn't know where to go. I remember for a lunch, went to Burger King and it was a mob scene. But that was about it. And... And I have to tell you, looking into the, the whole Krispy Kreme thing, you know, there's also five guys in Paris now. So it really is, a, it, it, it is not just, you know, there was a couple of, a handful of restaurants like Joe Allen's, uh, which is a New York restaurant there, like a theater district restaurant there for quote unquote American food. I think that the French, their, their, their palates, you know, normally very nice, nuanced, delicate, I remember the late Michel Richard showing me the difference between American croissants and and a French croissant, which is the French croissant is about half the size of the palm of your hand. And the American croissant is about the size of your hand stretched out, right? Yeah. So they like things delicate. But I have to tell you, those French have to be really interested 
and what all the fuss is. They've probably heard a lot of fuss around Krispy Kreme in America. And what they're about to get is a real treat, which is a giant sugar bomb. I mean, it's it's beloved for a reason. And yeah. that's partly because it's sort of addictive because it is just made of sugar. Especially, you got to look for that hot side. I don't know what hot is in French, but it'll be up. Also, the, the yes. advertisements for Krispy Kreme in France are chaud. amazing. Chaud is hot. There you go. So the chaud uh, sign yeah, will be uh-huh. up. So the signs, the, the advertising for Krispy Kreme is a... It's a glazed stone on a classic gla- classic glaze with a bite out of it. So it is in the shape of a croissant. And it says, Le Milieu Croissant de Paris, which is the best croissant from Paris. That's a way to, you know, that's, 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 that's some serious, what is that, gaslighting, trolling? But I'm telling it's, you, they're interested. They want to know what it's about. And they want to find it's like opening up uh, uh, Popeyes, I think, which happened in London. And they wanted to see what all the fuss with the biscuits and things like that. Because, of course, a Popeye's biscuit is much different than the English biscuit. Oh, very. This is this is American exceptionalism. Yeah. And they will also be introduced to our exceptional diabetes rates. That's right. Well, let's see if they can control themselves because, you know, this is the real test. Oh, I'm just going to have one a month if they can do that because they are a delight. But again, it's very decadent. They might find it too sweet, but they all want to find out what, what the talk is about. It's funny. There is a, a very hard to get into American restaurant. I read about this in the Wall Street Journal several months ago. It's an American restaurant called Ralph's, and it's located in the Ralph Lauren store. Oh, really? yes. But I mean, they're discovering things, not just, you know, cheeseburgers, but lobster rolls. And, you know, I mean, this is all very exciting American. I, th- I think it's great. I want well, more. We have French restaurants in this country. So why true. not? So if the French old fogies are upset about it, if the traditionalists are mad, yeah. they partly have their pandemic policies to blame because a lot of the shift toward faster eating in France has come from uber eats and the fact that you couldn't leave your house if i go to france mcdonald's is not going to be the place that i'm going it makes more it's interesting to me that a place like france with ridiculously great food is the place where this flourishes as opposed to say britain where (laughs) they're say britain ireland Hmm? what are you saying mary Catherine? where their traditional foods are not quite as tasty but i've been to a british mcdonald's and frankly that the nuggets the nugs were not up to up to snuff. Okay? Oh, they weren't really. No, they weren't very good. I, and they have different formulas in different countries. But let me yeah. say this: there's a series of YouTube videos of Brits trying American food, particularly yeah. Southern food. Yeah, it's great, and it's so fantastic. They are blown away. Yeah, because sometimes it looks <laughs> disgusting, like the the biscuits and gravy. Like, what biscuits is and this? Gravy. And they're like, oh, I can, and 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 I love how they compare it to what's the closest thing in, in you know in English British cuisine. So I mean, it's really amusing. And uh, the video that like, I saw, they're like, we have this, but without taste. Yes, no, and the video I saw, I think they were like English prep school boys. It was really yes. quite charming. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll find that for you guys to close out the show because it's delightful. Good. It is, it is. Leave you on a happy note. <laughs> I want, I want to taste the chicken, man. That's right. <laughs> right in there. Oh. Well, for <laughs> it actually makes me happy. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! The biscuits and the, and the gravy on its own, not oh, not amazing crumbly, but the chicken, the chicken is good with the gravy and the biscuit. It's good. Why do they make this? No, this this is so good. This is actually so good. Yeah, it's lovely. It's one of the best things I've had with chicken in my life. Really? So. <laughs> It's okay, big bit of gravy on the chicken. Absolutely lovely. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Gravy 
sausage, a fake scone, and chicken. <laughs> and it somehow all works. That wraps up this episode of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. You can follow the show at Getting Hammered Podcast on YouTube and Instagram. Shout out to Eliana Johnson for a wonderful job at the debate, our fellow Nebulous podcast host at Ink Stained Wretches, and importantly, Vic's boss. (laughs) Yay! Woo! (laughs) Well done, everyone. Thank you for getting hammered responsibly. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. (laughs) 